good to worship together. I'm thrilled that you're here. If I haven't had a chance to, to meet you, I'm Jack, one of the pastors, and uh, Pastor Brian in the back, and we'd love just to, to kind of connect with you, especially if you're new. And uh, tonight we're wrapping up this series uh, looking at spiritual warfare and looking at what is this whole idea of spiritual battles look like. And I know for some this has been uh, maybe a series that's hopefully brought some clarity because there's some, maybe some things growing up that you just had misconceptions on. And we want to look at the biblical truth of this. What does the Bible have to say about the spiritual realm and the battles that we're in? We know not everything is just this physical realm that we can see, that there's more going on than meets the eye. And we kind of know that intuitively, but we wanted to see it and kind of look at what the scripture has to say about this. And tonight, uh, as we kind of do a quick review, let's just kind of pick up with this verse in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. If not, if you've got a smartphone, you can open it up, open up our app and actually go to sermon notes and you can follow along with everything that we're going to be looking at tonight and you can refer back to that other times. But we kind of use this verse as one we wanted to memorize for this series, this idea of finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Ephesians 6, verse 10. And Ephesians 6, verse 10 starts off this whole section we're going to look at tonight. We've been kind of alluding to it the last couple weeks, but looking at the spiritual armor that we have as a follower of Jesus. Now, I know for some of you, you're here and you're kind of on a spiritual journey and you've yet to maybe start a faith journey with Jesus and I think it's awesome that you're here and it's totally cool. In fact, uh, I hope that you would find this to be a place where you can kind of go on your own spiritual journey, your own search for you, that you would get to a place where you could own your own faith. And, and if you've got questions and you've got doubts, that's great, it's okay. In fact, we want to be a place where people don't have to belong uh, and don't have to believe in order to belong. They can belong here and just say, I'm on this journey. And so uh, this idea of he goes on, Paul says, put on the full armor of God that you could take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against the people next to us. It's, there's something bigger going on around us, but against um, the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces and, in, uh, the evil of evil in the heavenly realms. This idea of struggle in Greek is pale, and it's this idea of a, a constant fight between opponents who are waging close hand-to-hand -hand combat with the goal of pinning the other one down and defeating one's rival. So when Paul's talking about the struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, meaning there's this struggle that's going on in the spiritual realm. That as a follower of Jesus, we're with God. We're kind of on his team, if you will. And those who are maybe not yet said yes to Jesus are kind of with a different team. And it's not because they're worse. It's just because they haven't found Jesus yet. And it's this idea that God has this war raging. And our enemy is against the realm of, of God and what he's up to. Uh, we read this quote a couple times. C.S. Lewis said, there's no neutral ground in this universe. Every square inch and every split second is claimed by God or counterclaimed or unclaimed by the enemy. So we wanted to take three weeks to kind of look at this. So the very first week, remember, we talked about recognizing, recognizing this reality that's going on around us, that we need to open our eyes to that, be able to push back and recognize, okay, we're to be alert and aware, but we don't need not be afraid as a follower of God. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But we need to be alert. We need to be aware to this. We need to recognize the lies of the enemy and replace that with God's truth. Spending time in his word. Set healthy and holy boundaries, we talked about. This idea of second week was this idea of resisting. In James chapter four, is resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
that his goal is to disrupt your relationship with Jesus as a follower of him. And so you need to resist the drift we talked about. Resisting this drift that, that wants to take us and kind of just bungle up or, or kind of mess up our relationship and our connection with Jesus. We need to resist the labeler mindset because our battle's not against other people. We don't need to label them as the enemy. You have one enemy, that's it. It's not other people. Now you can have healthy boundaries and that's okay, but they're not the enemy. The enemy is very clear that it's the, our, our enemy, Satan. We need to resist the extremes of self-reliance and self-condemnation. And that's where the enemy loves to take us because he's an accuser at the very core. And he's our biggest accuser. But remember we said Jesus is our greatest advocate. And that's the hope we have as a follower of Jesus is that Jesus is our greatest advocate. So this week, looking back into Ephesians chapter six and this whole idea of the spiritual armor of God. Now, you may have read some things on this. You may have talked about this. You have your own ideas and I I don't have time to unpack every single thing, but I wanna highlight for you from a biblical perspective, what does it mean to put on the armor of God? What is Paul saying here and the whole rest of Ephesians chapter six? So this spiritual gear, if you will, that we've been given. Now, in the first century, when Paul's writing this, they would have seen Roman soldiers walking around. And so this would have been something that you would have seen going on around you, that when we speak with this language, we're going to read here in a second, it would have made sense to you. So how many of you have seen Roman soldiers walking around Tucson? Perfect. Maybe Halloween. Uh, But this idea, it's hard to get our mind around what this looks like. What is this spiritual gear, so to speak? And so I was thinking it's summertime, right? Y'all know it's summer, right? (laughs) Because it's so hot. Okay. Um, So it's summertime, and the famous pastime, the greatest pastime of all times, greatest sport is? Baseball, yes, sir, baseball. So I thought I would have my favorite catcher come out here and help us get a visual representation. So Landon, come on out here. You're a freshman. That's awesome. Okay. I'm so tiny compared to you. Okay. Um, So we watch baseball games, and we've seen it. How many of you have seen a catcher before in a baseball game, right? Okay, everyone's playing along. That's awesome. So we recognize this gear, right? Because this is gear that's to help Landon not be hurt. I'm so glad that you're never hurt. Well, you probably are, but you power through. So um, we wanted you to kind of see this. I just want you to get your mind around the spiritual armor that we have as we read what Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter 6. So here's what he goes on to write in verse 13. He says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in its place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which can, be ex- which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So he begins to unpack this spiritual armor. So I want you to get this visualization. We don't have a Roman soldier, but we got a catcher, right? 
and we got our, we got the best sketcher Tucson, don't we? Okay, all right. Thank you, sir, for helping us. I appreciate that. So you can give him a big hand. I don't know where his games are at, but they play. You can go see him. Um, but this idea of I want you to keep that in mind as we talk through the spiritual armor that Paul's kind of helping us see to being a believer in Jesus doesn't give you immunity to the assaults of the enemy, but it does give you access to the power of the Father and the gear that he's provided for you to help you, for you to know that he is your defense and he is for your good. Ephesians, the whole book that Paul is getting at is to make sure believers who recognize that they are a new people and they've been given a new life into a new family with a new relationships, that they still have to endure spiritual warfare that's going to happen. So believers must stand firm with the armor of God to stand against the devil's schemes. Now, here's the question that I've always wrestled with. What does that mean? Put on the armor of God. Does that mean every morning I wake up, I need to read this passage? Is this like a, a magical prayer or a magical like section of scripture that I'm to, to kind of go through in a rote manner and I do this? And if I do it out of order, is that wrong? And, and what does it look like to do that? That's an honest question, right? Is this a pray through the prayer and the armor of God? Like, is it like cooking in those awesome machines that have been invented where you kind of set it and forget it and you just do it once and it just covers you the rest of your life? Those are honest questions. Here's, this far into my journey, here's where I feel like in the sense that Paul's saying this rhythm that we're to have that's healthy. How many of you have a driver's license? Now, for those of you who are older, how many of you remember getting your driver's license, right? You remember going there. What's interesting is the day before you got your driver's license, how did you get to places? You walked, you maybe rode a bike, or you bummed a ride from a parent or a friend, right? That's how you got around. But the day you got your driver's license and they handed it to you, bad picture and all, what opportunity did that open up to you? It's not a trick question. Driving, right? It opened up the opportunity to drive, to go. You could take your car, you could take your friend's car, you could take your parents' car, you could take a rental car, you could take any car that you wanted, even a stranger's car, though I don't recommend it. You could take a car. You had the right to then go drive, right? It opened up a whole new reality of your existence. What if that's what Paul's trying to get us to see? Not this idea that, okay, I have to every single morning get up and pray through the spiritual armor of God and put it on figuratively. And if I get it out of order, I've messed up. Or this other extreme of, okay, I do it once, I set it and forget it, and never think about it again. How many of you drive around with a car with your license? How many of you have been at home and you're kind of like, okay, it's a Netflix weekend, I'm not driving anywhere, you don't go anywhere, and then like three days later you go out to your car and you still drive, right? You live in that reality, but maybe you haven't used it for a couple of days. 
maybe that's what Paul's getting at. This idea that we will live with this constant awareness of the new reality that's been opened up to us. That we can see this idea that the armor is for us to utilize and to anchor ourselves to it. So that we have an opportunity to continually remind ourselves to, to remember and to re-engage with everything Jesus has given us as a follower of Jesus, as one who has said yes to him, that would help us take a stand and, and to resist and to recognize that if you're ever in the place in your life where you feel like you're under spiritual attack or you feel like you're just struggling in life and you're having a hard time recognizing or a hard time resisting, then let that be the cue to you that maybe it's time to get your spiritual license out that maybe it's time to spend some time with the spiritual armor and go through this again in your own mind. Not because it's magical, but because it's a remembrance of the new reality that you've been given in Jesus. That you have this equipment, you have this gear to help you. Tom White wrote uh, A Believer's Guide to Spiritual Warfare, and in it he says this, just because we're under attack doesn't mean we're unprotected. We've been given spiritual gear. We kind of pictured it here just a few minutes ago. This idea that God has incredible power and gear to utilize in order to respond as you live life, navigating life with Jesus. Five defensive weapons and two offensive weapons. Some gear for you. And so I just want to kind of walk through this and we'll sum everything up at the end. The belt of truth. Stand firm then, he says, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. For a Roman soldier, this was important because the belt actually went around and your breastplate and other parts of your gear actually fit into the belt to help take the weight off your shoulders. The belt was important. It was one of the things that helped you. It helps you understand. Remember Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Having the belt of truth is about strengthening the core of you. It's understanding how to live in the truth of God and in his promises, living in the freedom that God provides and not falling victim to the deception of what the enemy wants us to chase after and what he wants to get us sideways in our pursuit of Jesus or, or to fall into bondage of the consequences of falling after his decisions and the way he would say to do life. No, we want to stay linked up with Jesus. We want to understand the truth. There's a bunch of wrong things out there and a bunch of things that can get us sideways in life some deeds and activities, and they sure look appealing. In fact, their packaging is beautiful. But we all have been in places where we've opened up the packaging, and it looked so shiny, and it promises so much, and yet it never really delivers on what it says it will. It's like the McDonald's toy in the Happy Meal. I don't know about your kids, but my kids just absolutely love these things. And I don't get it because they're plastic, right? And they break like five minutes into playing with it. But there was something about that toy. It was so shiny. It was so awesome. But here's what you understand. The packaging sure is shiny and it looks to promise this pleasure and fulfillment. But don't get sucked in and settle for pretty packaging because it doesn't deliver on what you say. See, our culture tries to sell us some beautiful packaging of experiences and choices that seem to promise the good life. But only after opening it do we discover that it's a whole lot of plastic promises, counterfeit assurances, and hollow guarantees. They don't deliver. Priscilla Shabir says this, remember the enemy's overarching device is deception. 
He shades reality with enticing and alluring colors, seducing us away from black and white principles. He propagates fantasies, causing temporal and insignificant things to somehow appear immensely valuable and favorable. He hides consequences in the fine print while highlighting the parts of the appeal to our short-sighted, self-gratifying flesh. His packaging is so clever that unless you know what's true, we can easily fall prey to his poise. The belt of truth. God, help me to live with the truth of what you say about life. Help me to follow that because it's just the way I can experience the best possible way to live. Does that mean everything's going to be rosy and perfect? No. But it means it's for my best, even when it's a struggle and even when it's challenging. It's for my best because you're a good God and you have my best at heart. And that's why you say, here's how to live the best possible life. Here's why Jesus taught the way he taught. Here's why he modeled the way he modeled. Here's how he lived the way he lived. He changed people's life. And he said, come follow me. Know the truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, Paul goes on, he says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, recognizing that we have this thing that guards our very heart. Our heart is sensitive, isn't it? Uh, how many of you would say the heart is very core to you? It's important, right? Yeah, it's important. It's a big deal. And you want to guard it. You don't want to work really hard to not protect it. You want to work hard to protect it. You want to live with this life where your heart is protected. It's the seat of life. We're to have it protected by the righteousness of Jesus and what he has done in his life and his death and his resurrection, that it's not based on your efforts. We don't really work really hard to be righteous ourselves. We're told to be holy like God is holy as a follower of Jesus, but we don't work to become that. Jesus had to do a work in it first. Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned. That's all of us. We've all fallen short of God's perfection mark, but trusting Jesus that his covering is enough for us, that when God looks at you, he's been, uh, Jesus's righteousness has been imputed into your behalf, meaning it's been credited to your account. So when God looks at you as a follower of Jesus, he sees Jesus. That's good news, friends, because if he just saw me and my actions, I'm not gonna measure up to perfection nor would you. And so the struggle here in a spiritual journey places, we no longer have to strive to be our own perfect righteousness, to try to build it up for ourselves. That, that only leads to legalism and discouragement. But nor do we have to strive to be comparative righteousness, where we just compare ourselves to other people. I'm better than them. I'm better than so-and-so. Surely God loves me more. My righteousness is more than them, because that only leads to deceiving you. That's a slippery slope and a dangerous place to be. But you've been gifted and given, imputed the righteousness of Jesus, that he now defines you and declares you innocent before all accusers, even your biggest one. Why? Because Jesus is your greatest advocate, and he wins every single time. You, accusations you don't have to live under. So you're gonna live with the breastplate of righteousness that's Jesus's work on your behalf that he gives you. He just gives it to you, here it is. Live with that assurance, live in that resting spot that you have this. 
Then the shoes of peace, he goes on. And with, have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Uh, how many of you have ever played outdoor sports before? If you ever played outdoor sports, you probably had some kind of cleats or shoes that had some kind of either rubber or metal on them to secure you, to give you a more sure footing, right? That's what they were there for. That's what they helped you with if you've ever done that. The same is true of Roman footwear, that they had these little knobs on the bottom of that. When they were in battle, it would actually give them more sure footing. The Greek word here for peace in Ephesians 6.15 is arene. It's the New Testament parallel to the Old Testament word shalom. And it's this idea this peace would be with you. Shalom never referred to an absence or of, of chaos or turmoil or just the ups and downs of life. It always referred to this idea of harmony and health and wholeness despite all those things that were going on in your life. That when instability abounds, you remain steadfast when disappointment and confusion are near, you're still capable of walking in a God-infused confidence, stability, and steadiness because you have his peace as a part of you. Remember, Paul writes this in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near, meaning his proximity, his presence is close. You can be at peace. He's not far away. You can be at peace. So don't be anxious about anything. Put in every situation, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He already knows what you need anyway, but talk with him about it. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will stand guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Literally the Greek word there is stand guard. Is, it's almost like this ninja that would stand guard over your heart. God's peace is like that. That it doesn't mean chaos isn't happening, turmoil or challenges and going on. It just means God's peace can be with you in that. And you can rest and have this God-infused confidence that you can battle. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Peace in the world is only when your circumstances are good. And when there's no enemies and there's no battling, there's no fighting, there's no turmoil. That's very rare, isn't it? Jesus said, my peace I give you. I don't give to you like the world does. So don't let your hearts be troubled, and you do not have to be afraid. We can stand with God's peace surrounding us. We're with him. He's with us. And we can become dispensers of God's peace into the circumstances and the relationships around us, that his peace can flow through us to other people. So you live with these shoes of peace, so to speak. But everywhere you go, it's God's peace with you, despite everything that might be going on. And it's God's peace with you and through you to be a blessing to the circumstances and the relationships around you. And then you're to take up the shield of faith, to take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. That The enemy loves to throw arrows at us. He's an accuser at the very core of who he is. And a shield for the Roman soldiers wasn't just like a little trash can. It was actually two feet wide by four feet tall. Literally, Roman soldiers could almost disappear behind them if they squatted down. And if they had a bunch put together, one of the advantages that the Roman soldiers had was their technique of how they marched. And literally, shields, if they just made a square and the people in the middle put their shields up top, it almost became like this turtle shell that nothing could penetrate and get through. 
And so this idea of saying, you're to take up the shield of faith, this idea that saying, faith, not just faith of being the best is yet to come, faith that God's with me and we can overcome this, faith that God's gonna get me through to the end, but this idea of believing that faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Even when your feelings maybe feel differently. That God is telling the truth, that if he's never gonna leave us nor forsake us, which is what Jesus said, then he's not that it's acting like God's telling the truth, that if he's forgiven us and called us his beloved, then he has, and it's living like that. That if he's given us his promises to lean on, then we can lean on them and we can trust them. That it's his promises that will help us. We don't have to be distracted by the enemy's discouragement or the enemy's accusations. St. Clair Ferguson wrote a book called Grace Alone. In here he talks about four fiery arrows that the enemy loves to throw at us. God is against you, Satan says. He's not really for you. You can't really believe him. But Romans chapter eight, what we looked at last week, if God's for you, who can be against you? Because God is for you. Another accusation, an arrow, I have accusations to bring against you because of all your sins. Satan argues, how are you gonna defend yourself? You don't have to because you have the greatest advocate, Jesus, who defends you for you. It's his righteousness. Another one that you can say you're forgiven, but there's a judgment day coming. How are you gonna make it through that? Maybe the enemy whispers. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not about you. It's not from yourself. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and what he's done. Another arrow, given your track record, what hope is there that you would persevere to the end, Satan might whisper. Philippians 4, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Jesus never stops, and he always finishes what he starts. That's the beauty of this armor that we've been given, this faith that we have. Take up the helmet of salvation, Paul writes. Take it up, protect your mind. Don't buy the lies that come from a cultural context that we live in or the current of culture or buy the lies that the enemy tries to whisper into our hearts. Galatians 5, 1, it's for freedom that God, Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and don't be taken over again by this burden of a yoke of slavery that you have to earn something or you have to be better. Listen, walk with Jesus and you'll just become better because Jesus is gonna make you better and he loves you and he's with you. Being saved is not just saved from danger. This is about being saved and restored into wholeness, into prosperity, into being the best version of you because Jesus is working on that in you. The beginning of Ephesians, Paul unpacks this lavish inheritance that we've been given. You can read it back through Ephesians one and two. This incredible inheritance we've been given all because of Jesus this idea of saying this is the helmet of salvation, it's, it's listening to God's voice more in your life and him speaking new hope into your hearts and your minds. Colossians 3 says this, we've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated, get your mind on things above. This is the helmet of salvation. And then two offensive weapons he talks about, the sword of the spirit and prayer. The sword of the spirit is that which is the word of God, meaning that we would know the Bible, 
and we would be in the Bible. The Bible would be in us, that we would go to the truth of that. The sword of the Spirit is the offensive weapon we've been given, just like Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, when he's under temptation of the enemy. He's responding with Scripture. Okay, so when you're feeling defeated, you're beloved. That's the truth. When you feel alone, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You're not alone. Your mind might tell you that. Your circumstances might try to dictate that. The enemy may be whispering that, but it's not true. That's why this is important, to have the belt of truth, to have the sword of the Spirit, to pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and keep praying for the Lord's people. To have people in your life that pray for you. Isn't that an amazing gift? Can't that be an amazing gift that you give to someone else? That we would pray for one another and to recognize Prayer moves the heart of God and joins his activity in the world. It's invading the circumstances and the relationships of your world and agreeing with God to see more of his hope and his activity unleashed around you and around this world. That's what prayer does. It's standing on the word of God, the sword of the spirit, and praying. God, we need your activity, not just more of my activity. I'll partner with you, but we need your activity. Because you're the one that actually moves things and does things and accomplishes stuff. I'll be glad to be a part of the team, but I'm, I'm a minuscule part of the team. We need your activity to go. You have a license to drive. It's a reality that you live with, even if you don't drive for a couple days. It's a reality that you have. And I think that's what Paul's saying. That prayer the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, these are the reality that you have. Now, does that mean you have to pray it every single day? No. For some of you, it may be the best thing you could do to say, God, I want to be anchored to this, to understand my reality that I have. I've been given this gear, spiritually speaking, from Jesus just for me so that I can live and follow you and, and live the best possible way and I get distracted easily. And so maybe it's gonna be good for you to pray through this, to always remember Ephesians chapter six. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not yours, his. And all the gear he's given you to say, look, live with this truth. Live with Jesus's righteousness covering you. Protect your mind with this helmet of salvation. It's not, you didn't earn, you got it. Know the word. Live with this peace. Let you be a, a person who brings peace to the people around you. It's a fascinating passage of scripture that we're to hold on to because it opens us up to the reality of what's going on. In Romans chapter 16, I'll end with this. In an activity into um, the Lord's Supper tonight, I invite you to be a part of. It's interesting, Romans is a book that's chocked full of theology, incredible theology probably Paul's, in, in the guidance of the Holy Spirit, one of his best works of helping us understand everything we have in Jesus. And at the very end of chapter 16, right before he goes into a bunch of thank yous to individual people, here's what he writes. And I want us to live and claim this promise for yourself tonight. It's this, Romans 16, verse 20. Um, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The God of peace will soon crush 
Satan, his work, his activity under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Paul wants us to live with this reality. Remember the very first week, a couple weeks ago in this series, we took some time on an overhead projector and we wrote out one word. We said, what is the enemy up to in our world, maybe in your life, in the people around you? What's he up to? We had this whole kind of mosaic picture of all these things that we said, this is what the enemy's up to in our world. This is what he's up to in our life. What if we were to claim Paul's promise here, a promise from God, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. What if we were a people that just lived that out? So here's what I want to invite you to do, a little bit different. We're going to take communion like we normally do, and there's a couple stations down here in the front. We have gluten-free crackers if you need that, or a couple stations in the back. But during communion time, we're going to have just the worship team playing a little bit, a little extended time, because here's what I'm going to invite you to do. There's markers up here, just like we had the first week, that we wrote on a transparency. Here's what the enemy's up to. And I'm going to invite you to do something a little crazy and just take a marker. You can sit on the steps here, sit on the front row down here, and just write a word on the bottom of your shoe. And maybe it's a simple word that you wrote up here the first week that you said, this is what I see the enemy up to and I'm tired of it. And I wanna see that crushed under our feet. I wanna see that crushed out of our culture and out of uh, our community. And so I wanna write, I mean, it's poverty. And I wanna see that eradicated. I wanna see that kind of lifted up and taken away. I wanna see it crushed. I want God's activity to take care of that. Maybe you wrote something personal and maybe this is some of God's activity in your own life. Maybe it's a struggle that you've been having that you feel like, I'm tired of struggling with this. And maybe you just want to take your shoe off and write that on the bottom of your shoe. No one's going to see this, you and God. And you're going to walk out of here tonight knowing that God's activity is present in your life. And he wants to crush that out of your life. And that you can be a person who lives with his armor, lives under his power, and you can stand firm in your faith and watch God at work doing that. And so that's what I'm going to invite us to do as we move toward a time of communion. So take communion if you want, remembering Jesus' body and his blood shed on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins, that we could have a right relationship with God, that we can be gifted all this spiritual gear and all this armor in order for us to stand firm in our faith, that we don't have to cower that we can be alert and we can be aware, but we don't have to be afraid, that we can push back on darkness, not because we're good, but because Jesus is great and we're with him and we're on his team and that's who we follow. And so Father, that's what we pray tonight. That as we take communion, as we lean into this last worship song, as we do this activity of just writing, I pray that you'd give us a word. Maybe it's something that we're struggling with personally. Maybe it's something we want to see you crush out of our life. This activity of the enemy that's really been holding us back from becoming everything you want us to be. And so, Father, we pray in these next few minutes and this week ahead that you would do a work in our lives to crush that. God, maybe it's bigger things that are going on in our community and our culture that you want to see eradicated and we want to agree with you. We want to see it crushed and taken away. So, Father, as we remember Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection that gives us all the hope we have. We ask that you'd stir our hearts afresh and anew, that your spirit would move us tonight. As we worship you in song, 
May our heart just reverberate with the hope that we have. We thank you that you've equipped us to stand firm in faith. We don't have to retreat. We don't have to cower. We get to stand with you and watch you play out victory in our lives and in our world. We pray for more and more and more of that in the days to come. 